Hey, Gabriel Blake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? We're actually together for the first time in a while mm -hmm. at your apartment. But we did try to record this from Charmaine, a rooftop lounge in Soma. But the music was so loud, we couldn't. Yep. I mean, the views were great, but the music couldn't be louder. It was awful. Yep. As they told us, it's like the experience, if they would be to lower the volume on our side, it would be detracting from the experience on the people on the other side. And we couldn't do that, so... Yep. Yeah. They couldn't penalize people, you know, not hearing blasting the Miami sound machine. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Yeah, that was that was an interesting an interesting experience. Thank you, Blake. <laughs> You're welcome. That was completely my idea, and uh, we won't be repeating that. So, what did we watch this time? We watched the 2006 classic, mm -hmm. "The Fall" by mm -hmm. Tarsem. Not Tarsem, see. Tarsem. Tarsem. <laughs> and I think that this was my pick, and the reason why I pick it. Is because talking the other day with some co-workers about uh, comfort movies, I realized that I watched this movie way more times than I give it credit for. But the funny thing is that probably the first time that I watched this movie was... Well, no, it was, it was still in Spain, like 10 years ago, maybe. But it was like years after it was released. So, my experience watching this film, I saw it in 2006 during the theatrical release. I was living in a town called Provo in Utah where I went to school. Mm -hmm. And the theater that I loved was 45 miles north. And I just decided one night I wanted to see a movie. I looked what was at the Art House Theater. I watched the trailer and just said, yep. And I went and watched it. <laughs> and I thought, this is the luckiest decision yeah. I've ever made. Yeah. No, honestly, when I watch it, I remember this. Okay, I have no idea about this movie. And the kind of review that I heard, it was like, this is good. It's like visually really appealing. But I didn't know exactly what to expect out of it. And we have talked about The Fall multiple times as a movie that we both really like. And I was curious to see if watching it again after, you know, like watching really good cinema... A really terrible one, too. <laughs> Let's not forget about that. How this actually held. So, also, this is an interesting movie for us to watch on the podcast because I feel like this podcast is 60% new films mm -hmm. and 40% us wanting to introduce films that we love yeah, to, to the other person. person. Yeah. But this is the first movie that I think we both seen many times yep, and we're, we're both like. very vocally about yep about liking about it, it. Yep. yeah <laughs> so what is it about okay so <laughs> it takes place in the 1920s mm -hmm. uh somewhere near hollywood it doesn't seem it seems to be on like kind of the outskirts of the country on the coastish yes and the two main characters are Lee Pace, who plays Roy. Roy is a stunt double in silent films, mm -hmm. and he has recently been paralyzed after a stunt, and so he's in this hospital. Mm -hmm. Then there's uh, this young Romanian, Romanian yeah, I don't know, like immigrant the girl, yeah. a vaguely foreign girl. Miss She's European, like, yeah. what, Century. six, seven, eight? Something yeah, like that? Yeah, six probably. And she barely speaks English and she's there recovering because she was a 
uh, an orange picker in a field and she broke her arm. So she's yep. there recovering. And she also fell. She, they both fell and mm-hmm. injured themselves and they strike up uh, an uncommon friendship. And Roy tells, I don't remember her name. Alexandria. Alexandria. Yeah. A story mm-hmm. that's actually a manipulation tactic. <laughs> but he tells a story from his perspective as an American. So he, there's like an Indian and a slave. And we I mean, see I mean, the story through Alexandria's imagination for her coming from Europe. Indian means coming from India. A slave means something very different. So there's this interesting kind of... They're both collaborating on this incredibly beautiful story. And so then throughout the movie, we see the imagination story and we see what's happening in the hospital throughout. And it's extremely dramatic and gorgeous. Yeah, one of the things that... uh, One of the reasons why I watched it the first time is because uh, against all the common trends in Hollywood... Tarsem, he actually recorded everything outdoors. Is that there are like many, many, many beautiful uh, landscapes and locations, but all of them exist in the real world. Is that he didn't make anyone, you know, any of them up in a studio. No sets yeah. at all. No stages. Yeah. And is that some of them is that they really look is that this, this cannot exist. And it's a combination of, okay, like, well, it's not natural. Well, like, some of them are like natural beauty, but some of them are actually like natural human build and also like really good uh, artistic direction you know like pretty smartly about like just placing the camera for building and making the uh, the idea that there is more to the specific location where they are instead of just constructing it i think that the only thing that they may have construct is uh when one of the characters explodes himself that they actually yeah that I don't think that probably that place they say, well, of course, you know, like take this millennial temp, you know, like 1000 years old and just explore it for your movie. And I remember watching because I watched all the extras on the DVD over and over. Um, they built a what do you call it? A replica. A replica that was like a third of the size. Oh, a and third. Then, oh. And then they actually blew it up. Yeah. Um, and I, but that place did actually exist. It yeah. wasn't that they just, you know, built a stage. And I do want to call out that this film was shot in 28 countries yep. over four years. Like the, the, holy, sh- the task of filming this had to be just yep. incredible. There is this scene that I have forgotten when, uh, the mystic, uh, just, just swallows them up and they start like having this uh, ritual dance of the other mystics and they start like having flashes of them, like just walking next to the pyramids. So they also saw the Statue of Liberty. They sold the Eiffel Tower. Is that like, okay? You guys went crazy everywhere. They <laughs> went everywhere. Yeah, at that point, I was thinking, is like, how come did they do like from a cost, from a budget perspective? How did they justify this? About like, okay, we want to have like a flash of one second, and it's true. Maybe you're not going to be like taking the whole thing because most of those uh, shots, they only saw the cast from behind. You know, they saw like the Darwin's code that is like pretty visual, and it's okay. You can just send like a replica of the jacket there and you don't need to take like the full crew with you for just shorting like this one second long scene but it's still like pretty amazing that the guy went so crazy of yeah it's completely mandatory for me that there has to be like an scene in front of the eiffel tower and in front of the statue of liberty it's interesting you bring that up because what did you think about those two shots 
the Eiffel Tower and the Statue of Liberty, those two, I felt like, why are you putting these two? Because everything else feels so medieval. Yeah. Every, it felt yeah. like a period piece from the 1920s, and that just, it didn't make sense. Out of place, yeah. But that's a, a minor misstep in a movie yeah. that we both yeah. agree is incredible. Yeah, and the thing is, like, they're, like, half a second, each one of them. It's, like, it's not that much. It's more, like, at that point, it was, like, just focusing, okay, we're going to be, like, showing... And it's like this stream of images, like really fast. Is that like you can actually see when you see like the Statue of Liberty, it's like that makes no sense. So <laughs> why did you have to do that? Chronologically, it makes sense because it's set in the twenties. And besides that, as you were saying, it's like Alexandria. It's like this is playing through her imagination. It's like for Alexandria, probably she had never seen the Statue of Liberty, but probably she has saw it in a, in a stamps. So for her, it also has some kind of iconic beauty as the Eiffel Tower. So. With that part, it's like a thing that it, it makes sense. I don't think that it's a mishap completely, but it's like everything else that they go to, it feels more old. It feels yeah. older. Yeah, it feels like, uh, I, I just said a period piece, but it feels like, I don't know, the 1850s, I would feel like, or even earlier. Earlier than that, yeah. All the uh, stuff that it happens on India, because most of the uh, of the settings, they're, they're actually on India. Well, most, like some of them. And it's like those ones, they feel like at least 200 years old. And also, Charles Darwin was one of the main characters. So if you assume... <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, you can go with that. <laughs> so the the story um, has four characters. There's the bandit, mm-hmm. which is kind of a dual role for a while. It's played by Alexandria's father who it's revealed was murdered probably in eastern europe yeah. in some no 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 in california is that because he actually says that they had a farm here was it here yeah i think so i think we're in california by the way yeah. <laughs> well sorry <laughs> um interesting okay so for a while the bandit for the a few scenes the bandit she's imagining it as her father and at some point it switches over to roy as the bandit because roy starts making an accent for him and then she says, like, why is he talking like that? It's like, because he's your father. It's like, I don't want him to be my father. I want him to speak normally like you. And then he becomes Lipe's. The bandit was Lipe's. Okay, so there was the bandit, played by two men. There was the Indian, who was an actual person from India. There was Luigi, the explosive expert, which was the... so stereotypically offensive to him. <laughs> it's not really that offensive. But um, it is yeah, in any case, he's also the actor that in the real life that he's missing one leg yeah he's a also a stunt uh stunt double, maybe an actor yeah, but yeah. works in the movies and used the loss of his leg to be able to do all these special effects in the 1920s yep. and then there There's was the slave, the slave who was, that is the ice carrier yes so it's it's a lot like wizard of oz in that in her imagination in this story it's yeah. based on people actually in her real life um and that brings up a theme that I think is kind of prevalent is that while Lee Pace is telling the story, the story itself is a collaboration between the two, and they both have a say in where the story goes, yeah. um, which I think is pretty obviously an idea that Tarsem wanted to explore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that uh, the influence doesn't become like, really obvious until the end, you know? Is that the last part, when basically Lee Pace is like just like 
facing his self-destructive desire because in the story it's like basically about him tricking Alexandria for getting him morphine 3 <laughs> morphine and uh, just committing suicide that at that point I was thinking like, isn't there like way easier ways for him to commit suicide than just getting morphine from that point you know it's like you can eat garbage you can just like ask for a knife or a razor and just say that you're going to be like saving yourself and just open your wrists. Which is a big part of the story that we didn't describe is that Lee Pace, I think he has a genuine, or Roy has a genuine interest in becoming friends with this little girl, but he mm-hmm. also has this ulterior motive that he wants her to sneak into the dispensary and steal morphine. And he just tells her he wants to go to sleep. Yeah. But he's very much trying to commit suicide and manipulating this young, sweet little girl. And I messaged you after I watched this movie uh, yesterday morning. And I told you it felt different this time. And you were like, let's not talk about it until the podcast. Yeah. Um, so this was a comfort movie for me when I was like 23, 24, 25. I would fall asleep watching it like every night. The music is insane. Yeah. I've been in love with Beethoven since I was like 10. And the, <laughs> the, the, the Beethoven Symphony. Yeah, just, that's amazing. insane, the music. But it was so much darker for me this time. It was, wow. And not not necessarily in a bad way, but this time I watched it, it was so much more about Lee Pace wanting to kill himself and manipulating this little girl, putting her in harm's way multiple times. And so at some point, she's trying to steal more medicine from him, and she falls and hurts her head, and it turns into this claymation. Oh, yeah. That part is really disturbing. Yeah, it's super disturbing. And she, I think, had to have some sort of operation. It's not yeah. really clear how badly she was injured, but she was injured. Yeah. And then he's he feels bad, and he's apologetic, and he visits her while she's extra injured, and she wants him to finish the story, and he just abuses her like crazy emotionally, <laughs> killing off... All the, All the characters, characters yeah. that she loves. And she's just sobbing and saying, stop killing everybody. Stop it. Like, he kills the monkey, which just broke my heart. <laughs> I was so sad. Um, and she just begs him to stop. And I thought, this guy is a fucking psychopath. I mean, he's damaged. But you don't do this to a six, seven, eight-year-old girl who's being your friend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to say that at that point, it always feels to me, it's like, okay, you're taking it too far. Because if this is about like his self-destructive desire, it's about himself. It's not about her. Probably you would say, like, just, I don't have energy. And just going out, you wouldn't stay there and just indulging her. The only reason why you would doubt about like indulging her, but at the same time hurting her, is because you hate that girl. And he never did it. That's the part... This, for me, felt different. That is, like, I love this movie. It's a comfort movie. It's not a perfect movie. And I think that the script is like the more that I watch it, the less connected I feel to it. I just feel like, okay, I don't see the rationale here. For example, if Lee Pace was only using her after taking all the pills, well, the three morphine and the sugar, is like, I start like just falling asleep, probably say, like, look, I'm tired. I'm not going to be like telling you anymore. But he actually indulges her and just keeps telling her like more of the story and more until he actually falls asleep. Yes. 
I also, that felt like a major plot hole this time when he takes the sugar. He thinks he's taking morphine, but yeah. it's placebo yeah. that he steals from the patient next to him. And then he's taking the pills and then he just like falls asleep. If those were sugar pills, you're not just going to fall asleep. At Probably not. I was like, no. Well, but he took the three morphines, the three morphine pills on top of all the sugar. Oh, he did? Yeah, he did. Yeah, okay. because after the thing, I also thought at the beginning that okay, there is something wrong there. But in uh, in the story, he's seen with the uh, with the glass, with the crystal glass uh, one, and not the brown one. The brown one is the one that has the sugar, and the crystal glass, the clear glass, is the one that has the morphine. Okay. So that he actually explicitly does that. He fall, he drops like one of them, and the girl actually gives it to her to him, and he only had like the three pills. You know, so he actually takes all the sugar and on top the three morphine ones, just in case. Yeah. So that's what I thought, but I felt like, I don't know. It's like, it's true that he's manipulating her, but it's like, for me, it never feels like completely evil. Yeah, I agree. He's damaged. Yeah. And he's hurting and he's paralyzed and he lost his girlfriend to the movie star. Yeah. But I just feel like, even in those moments, you have the you would have the the wherewithal to not yeah. just keep hurting this little girl. <laughs> over there is no and reason. Over. Well, I think that's the way that he was doing it. It's a bit more like just trying to say is that look, there is no hope. Is that there is no hope? It's like a, the only way that I actually have to break the solution that you have of hope is just killing these characters that I made up, that there is no value associated with it, as there is no value associated with me either, because I lost my reason to live. That is like, it was this girl only, you know? So I had a feeling that, in, I don't think that he's doing it in a way of hurting her. I think that he's doing it in a way of just reinforcing his desperation, his hopelessness. A bit more like, look, I, I, I'm broken. I'm telling you that I'm broken, that I just want to be done, that I just want to kill myself. And you want me to tell you the story? Is that, look, I'm going to be portraying what I feel. Not about like hurting you. I'm going to be like portraying what I feel about my life into this story. And she tries to do the same. That is about like she actually sees everything with a positive light. And she tries to say like, no, don't do it. There is like more that I can help. It's like I just want you to be there. I just want you to be alive. So the, the the big picture of the story he tells her is that there are these four compatriots, basically. They're all sworn to kill the evil governor, Odious. Spanish governor. In, re, in, in the real-life story, Governor Odious is the movie star that stole his girlfriend. Um, and so the final scene of the actual story in her imagination is Governor Odious is just beating the shit out of Roy, the bandit. And is going to die, and uh, Alexandria is laying on the surgical bed, just sobbing. Please don't, please don't make everybody die. And then even her, as an eight-year-old, she begs him, please. How does she say it? She, she's like, please don't. Don't kill my daddy. No, but she, she acknowledges that the the bandit is Roy, and she's like, please don't die. She's yeah. asking, please don't kill yourself, which. Yeah. Broke my heart, but it felt a little bit manipulative. And I don't care. I love, the, <laughs> I love this movie. I love it so much. Look, I, it, as I was telling you, I think that this is not a perfect movie, but it's a movie that I love. 
It's a movie that is a look. I also love Showgirls because it's a train wreck. I would never defend it as something good. But there is. Don't you compare this? No. I'm going to say that there are, these are two movies that is okay. The Fall may not be perfect, but it's closer to be perfect than Showgirls. Showgirls is like the opposite of being close to perfect. It's close to a complete disaster. And, uh, but they are like two movies that I think, okay, they are aware of their limitations. I don't think that Tarzan, at any point, he was thinking about making a perfect movie. And he's, I don't think that the strength of this movie, even when he was directing it, I don't think that he ever thought that it was going to be on the script. He knew that the, the script is a justification for just having like beautiful escape, beautiful light escapes. And it's good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's good. It's like, it's, it's more than functional, but it's not wit. For example, yeah, yeah. Where Wit succeeded in, what did Wit succeed in? A script and destroy, destroy my soul. My soul. <laughs> yeah. um, this is definitely a movie, and I think we've discussed this before, and we disagree a little bit. But for me, this is a movie that sacrifices story for style. Yeah, which yeah, I'm yes. totally fine with. I think this is um, <laughs> absolutely one of the most visually stunning. Yep. films I've ever seen and so I saw this movie for the first time 14 years ago and it's never changed and I've never gone more than a couple years without seeing this movie mm, that's cool so you were telling me earlier that actually this movie was uh, released in 2006 but it was actually finished production in 2001 or 6 years earlier you said so I'm not going to get the dates right but I watched the extras on the dvd and i own this on dvd that's how Mm -hmm. i watched it um there was an interview with lee pace and i think tarsem and whoever was doing the interview was saying hey what you know tell me about this tell me about that and lee pace said it's so weird for me to be interviewed about a film that i shot so many years ago the film was not going to get a release at all and that's why now when you see the film it is quote-unquote presented by spike lee no, Spike no, Lee, no, Spike, Spike Jones. And David Fincher. <laughs> Spike Lee had nothing to do no, with this. No, I don't think that he would be involved um, with this. And in the mid-2000s, this kind of became a thing where uh, established directors would find smaller films that they loved and they would put their names on it as, like, Quentin Tarantino Presents. What was the movie he presented? I have no idea. I'll look it up. But um, basically, this film saw the light of day because uh, Spike Jones and David Fincher wanted people to see it. Yeah, but the funny thing is that they clearly they put a lot of money into this movie, even if it was for just flying the crew from one place to another. So from that perspective, it's like, who put that amount of money and then didn't want to release it? I don't know. I don't know. It's bizarre. I, I can't imagine who would ever invest in this movie without wanting it to see the light of day. Yeah. Hero. Quentin Tarantino presented Hero, the Chinese film that ended up being kind of a hit, but nobody was going to watch in America. So, mm-hmm. you was gonna, you know. so, but you also say that it was like just maybe like five years or whatever, you know, after it was a uh, finish and then it saw the light of day. So my only question is that it shows 2006. So maybe it didn't get a theatrical release release until like 2010. So, but yes, there was a, big amount of time gotcha. between the time filming wrapped and this was in yeah. theaters. Because what I was going to say is that if it also took them four years to record this movie because of all the travels that they had to do, if it was the other way around, you know, like six years from or four years, 2002, that would mean that they start recording it in late 90s. 
And this doesn't feel at all like an 80s movie. Yeah, no, it doesn't feel... To me, it doesn't feel dated at all. The fact that I watched it on a DVD meant that the resolution wasn't great, but yeah. if there's a Blu-ray version, it would feel like it came out two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's also the magic of how careful, from an artistic perspective, it is. And it was very clear that it was a love letter to film, I think. Yeah. Um, and it celebrated a lot of the things that I think both you and I value about the magic of the cinema, cinema and what the worlds it can take you to and the yeah. emotions it can make you feel. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I told you that I uh, I have a weak spot for meta cinema. You know, like this kind of onanistic exercise from Hollywood. Like, I like La La Land because I feel like it's something similar to that from the perspective of just trying to make a homage to the musical cinema of the uh, 40s and 50s. Do you feel that way about uh, Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood? Hollywood? Partially, but the priest that Quarantino uses is slightly different, you know? Yep. It's a bit more, I wouldn't say cynical, it's a bit more bastardized, <laughs> a bit more like... <laughs> I want to be the bad boy looking at this. But I love uh, uh, Sunset Boulevard. It's my favorite movie. And they actually look at silent cinema. They actually... The, the leaf motif yeah. of the whole story is about like what happened with those gods that we created. You know? And uh, I told you, we are going to be like forces to watch uh, Cinema Paradiso because it's similar on an uh, idea to this. You know, in the homage part. So he didn't direct... So he did The, the Cell, the cell yeah. starring Jennifer Lopez. Lopez in 2001. Yeah. Yep. Then he did The Fall in 2006, and he didn't do another thing until 2011, which was Immortals, <laughs> starring Superman and Mickey Rourke. God, I didn't watch that. Um, did he, he did something afterwards, no? He did, he did Mirror Mirror in 2012. And selfless was the other he one? He did selfless. Yeah. That was the last thing he did besides a TV series, series called Emerald City. He directed 10 episodes of something called Emerald City. In no idea. So is that based on Oz? Or the Wizard of Oz? Yeah, it looks like it. A modern reimagining of the stories that led to the Wizard of Oz. Huh? Well, as you were saying, is that there is some kind of parallelism between... Uh, the imaginary story on uh, the fall and the Wizard of Oz. So, an idea could fit. I don't know. I mean, if I'm, I'm impressed. I didn't finish watching The Cell. I think that I fell asleep and then I forgot about the movie completely. But I think that at least from an aesthetic perspective was good. I also think it was good. I don't think it's as good as The Fall. Um, I think you could see... Evolution? Yeah, where he was going towards. Yeah. Maybe that's what we'll watch this week. <laughs> the cell. <laughs> or the immortals. <laughs> or mirror, <feature>. mirror. <laughs> Old Tarzan. Uh, what do you think that this has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'd be surprised if that many people saw it. The full? Yeah. I, I checked it and I... Uh, I think that it had like a 75... Or something like that. 75 to 80. 61. 61? 61, except the audience score is 85. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
How would you have like a 61? So this, the summary phrase is more visually elaborate than the fragmented story can sometimes support. The fall walks the line between labor of love and filmmaker self-indulgence. And I have to say <laughs> that the older that I get, the less I agree with this. And you and I had a discussion about this movie years ago where I said I felt like the story was weak and you said that you didn't feel it was that weak. And I yeah. felt that way when I watched it this time. I was like, there's plenty of story here. <laughs> no, look, I mean, I think that the story is not the strong point. But I don't think that it's weak, per se. I don't think that it's just a placeholder for a story. It's like, just let me think. Only Lovers Left Alive. Only Lovers Left Alive, I think that the story is a bit more of a placeholder. For visuals and cool music. And yep. Yep, about like the rest of the experience. It's a bit more like, well, I, I need to put something. I mean, the characters, Tilda Swinton needs to say something. <laughs> at least. A couple of sentences, at least. Again, another movie where I don't give a shit that they sacrifice story <laughs> for style. At that point, I, I think, I and mean, we discussed this, I remember the last time that we talked about this, it was probably sadly the same idea. That is, like, for me, there has to be a bit of a balance. It's like, I'm fine with sacrificing a bit when the aesthetics are so amazing, like in this movie. But... You cannot sacrifice everything. There has to be something there. <laughs> because otherwise I'm just watching a video clip. I'm watching like Run Lola Run. Yeah. What did you think about that movie? I remember liking it, but I saw it in like 2005. We should watch it again. <laughs> I feel like now I'd be really disappointed in my earlier self. Yeah, that's a pretty nineties movie. <laughs> um so I don't want to jump too far ahead but I'm very curious about what you would rate this who should rate this first I think I'm supposed to because you picked it okay I haven't prepared this I <laughs> I would say a 7.5 okay yeah for me the rating is going to be a 7 because I still love it this is what I was telling you is that I love it I would recommend it I think that artistically is pleasing I haven't forgotten too much of the movie, but it's true that I watched it like two, three years ago, you know, with my ex. So uh, from that perspective, it's like, I think that it's a good movie, you know, but it's not a six movie. I think that all the effort that they put into the aesthetics and into just going to different locations, I cannot think of many movies that they have done this. Yeah, so um, I completely agree with your rating. Yeah. Uh... I also think it is a good movie. I, I've watched it at least 20 times, and I yeah. will watch it again. I would recommend this basically to anyone if they yep. were saying, hey, what's an interesting movie I probably haven't seen? And I have seen already, the fall. Yeah, yeah, I have already seen The Touring Horse. What should I watch next? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> and then <laughs> The Fall. Um, shoot, there was, gonna, there was going to be something I told you from the trivia. Oh yes, I told I told this to you right before we started recording. I okay. read in the trivia section of IMDb that this was heavily inspired by a Bulgarian film oh. from the 1980s called Yo Ho Ho, which I've never oh, heard of. And um, yes, Bulgarian movie Yo Ho Ho, 1981. I think. It would be interesting to watch it at some point. Yeah, the one that I was thinking about, every single time that I watched this movie, I remember about, uh, I think about The Princess Bride. Don't do that. Why? I don't like The Princess Bride. Why not? I thought that every single American loved The Princess Bride. Well, no, not this American. Because you like The Fall? 
I I think that that movie I watched it as a kid and it was disturbing to me and I just never I always had these negative emotions associated with it like don't they they have to walk through a forest where like flames can just jump out of the ground at any point and that horrified me and I'm like this is not entertainment I don't want to watch this was that on the Princess Bride on the Never Ending Story no I've never seen the Never Ending Story okay so it has Princess to be the Princess Bride <laughs> and there's like giant rats that eat humans I don't remember man yeah, I mean I watched it like many no. years ago anyway, and I thought that. I mean the thing is that when I was the Princess Bride that everyone loves everywhere it's like a, the only thing that I can remember of that movie is like the kid from uh, those wonderful years, yes. whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. It's like the main kid, the grandfather reading the story, and the uh, the Spanish guy, the Inigo Montoya. My name is Inigo Montoya. Prepare to die. That's the only thing I remember. You don't remember? Um, oh God, the Kevin Spacey TV show. Kevin Spacey House of Cards. Okay, Robin Wright. <laughs> Oh, she was. The, oh, she was the She's princess. The princess yeah. yeah, that's right. And Andre the Giant. I remember all. That's that. true. Yeah, it was there. So uh, the reason what I think about that movie is because it, it follows a similar pattern. It's true that the grandfather is not trying to trick the uh, the grandkids into stealing alcohol <laughs> or drugs for him, but at the same time, it's a bit more of a generational uh, story, you know, and about like just trying to connect through an imaginary tale. You know, so I think that I like that. Now I remember the first time that I watched The Fall, I was mind blown by the beginning. I didn't know exactly what I was going to be expecting, but that first sequence in a super slow motion, you know, with the Seventh Symphony over the yeah, on black yeah. and white, it was like holy shit! This is like one of the most gorgeous things that I ever seen in my life. You know what that opening reminded me of this time, and I don't mean this in a negative way. The Turing Horse. No, it was the opening sequence to Antichrist. Oh. Where it's all black and white and slow motion, and it's just the most beautiful shot you've ever seen. Isn't that like when the kid commits suicide that he jumps through the window? I mean, he's like three. I don't think he's actually well, suicide. <laughs> but I, it shows, like, uh, what's her name? The Lars von Trier muse. I don't remember her name. Yeah, she's singing Independence sure. Day for two. But it's like her taking a shower in slow motion. That's and, true, yeah. And I think they're having sex. Yeah, it's like sex in slow motion in the shower. Anyway, it's just these shots that are so beautiful. Slow motion, gorgeous classical music, black and white. Do you remember and, the um, song that it was playing on Antichrist? I have no idea, but I know it was Beethoven's seventh in this movie. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. No, I... And the thing is, like, that's opening doesn't fit into your head, doesn't actually just fall, the pieces doesn't fall in place until significantly later in the movie, when you can see like the girlfriend also on the side, that she's like just having a drink or something or talking with the actor, you know, and just playing with the locker. Yeah, what's actually happening in those opening scenes, you don't find this out till later, but it's a movie set where there are some stunts being done where there's like an, a steam-powered train sitting on a bridge over water and there's people that seem to have fallen off the bridge into the water and cowboys that are trying to rescue yeah. and a horse and it's just all slow motion. I'm describing it is ridiculous because yeah. it's beautiful. and Yeah, and even like the camera work, I remember like when I watched it, it's like the camera work, it almost feels like something that you would see in the 20s. You know, like how he was doing. Not the slow motion, but a bit more like the takes that they could do. You know that they were like, there is this scene that someone's like just walking 
out of the steam, you know, and you cannot see anything until he gets like really close to the camera and he's screaming in silence. I uh, I find it like mind blowing that beginning and the end. I mean, the end is like just sweet. I love the uh, I love Alexandria's voice. I find it like super adorable. It's like I don't know if she actually, I don't know exactly if she was like a trained actress or it was a bit more like let's just pick this crazy girl with a crazy accent and see how it works i don't think she was an actress at all in fact i just checked her at her imdb page and she didn't right do before anything. we started she has two other credits after the fall but they're shorts huh okay and it's interesting because in in the real world she barely spoke english when they started filming and all of the shots in the hospital were filmed in chronological order. So you can actually see her English get better throughout the oh, film. Oh, nice. And there, some of the misunderstandings that she had in the beginning of the film were actually incorporated into the plot. That's amazing. Yeah. Because they feel like there is a scene with her at the beginning. I think it's the first time that he talks with, that she talks with a Lee Pace character with Roy that Lee Pace is repeating the same thing over and over, and it's like clearly doesn't understand. It's like is this part of the movie, you know, that because Lee Pace is not really improvising anything else. Like he's just come on, just let's go forward. But as a child actress, I thought she did incredible. Yeah. it was such a good performance, and yeah. Lee, Lee Pace did well. Not much was demanded of anybody else in terms of like actual fully yeah. uh, developed emotional ranges. Um, yeah, no, actually the rest of the characters, they are like just background. They're like Zack Snyder characters. <laughs> <laughs> They're like very fierce and they mm-hmm, have mm-hmm. these like uh, sets of um, characteristics, but they're yeah, very limited. They don't have a personality. No. Yeah, they have just traits. <laughs> <laughs> you are the nurse. You are hot. <laughs> that's, that's your characteristic. And it's like, well, I mean, it's not like the Emma Stone uh, sketch from SNL when she's like portraying the wife. On the porn. The gay porn set. <laughs> it's like, but who is she? No one actually is wondering that. It's like they know. Deidre. Deidre. I, I found her. <laughs> so now how I'm going to let you go, Deidre? You need to stay with her. Oh I love that. Oh my god, sketch. son. <laughs> I forgive you. I love that sketch. But no, I think that all the actors on this movie is that they, they're a word. And it's like, look, we are just here because they need to have more people. This is the only reason why we are here. There's a lot of little little things that makes this film extremely nice, but it's so hard to describe, like the way that um, Roy was telling Alexandria the story. So he was saying things in the real world, and then it was showing the story in her imagination, and the dialogue started to cross, and I just, there was so... So many nice touches that yeah. you can't even describe here. But. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking now that you mentioned about like C not being, you know, too, <laughs> too well versed in English at the beginning of the movie. Uh, the first story that Roy starts telling is not about this revenge story. It's about Alexander the Great. Yeah. And she actually says that, why, why did he leave the building? And he's like, no one mentioned a building. What is this? What is this girl saying? And at that point, I was like, pretty, really confused. And I felt, oh yeah, you know, it's actually for just displaying one of the rules of the movie that is like, whatever they discuss is going to be reflected into it. But a part of me thinks it's like, what about if they did that afterwards? That they actually says that, oh, I actually that worked well. That Lee Pace just improvised about like, oh no, there were no buildings. He was in a desert, you know. Which was a scene I really enjoyed. 
Yeah. Like, because he's walking through, he's on a horse riding through ruins, and the ruins are stunning. I want to know yeah. where those are. Yeah. And then she has this incomprehensible yeah. English question. What are you doing? And then the camera work that just shows him get off his horse, and all of a sudden he's in, it has to be Namibia, like the dead coast. Yeah. But the scene is so gorgeous. Yeah. And then she calls him out. He tells a little anecdote about um, Alexander the Great, and she's like, that's stupid. <laughs> and so he immediately changes the story, because, yep. and they start collaborating, and yep. I just, I love it. I love yeah. it. I love also when he says, like, uh, why did he do that with the water? That makes no sense. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's adorable. It's like, I know, and a part of me was thinking, it's like, okay, I know that I have an accent, and I know that uh, my ex used to tell me, he's like, God, how I hate your slightly broken sexy English you know like so that what does it make that is sexy that is like slightly broken and at that point when I was watching the movie I was just like he should have given just a, a tiny seat to everyone <laughs> it's like holy shit this is adorable <laughs> I, just, I just want to pinch her cheeks <laughs> yeah man I mean uh, I, I think we 100% agree on this it's yep. not perfect, but it is 100% lovable. And yep. I, I've only, I actually watched this movie with a high school buddy who absolutely hated it. And I, and you are no longer friends. So many negative emotions when he was just like tearing down the film while we were watching it that I like relived that when we just watched it. <laughs> I was like, fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck him. But come on. I mean, I, it's one of those movies that you have to just carry so much luck. Is that there is a lot of heart in that movie. I mean, at least from my perspective, it's not the kind of movie that you're going to be like watching as you're watching Citizen Kane. That you're going to be like watching and just looking for the technical aspects that they are good, but you're also going to be like calling out the stuff that is terrible. So I think when I said that I, it felt different this time, maybe I've grown up and matured. Maybe I'm an old soul now. Um, <laughs> you have always been an old soul, like. I think that I saw the movie far more from the perspective of Roy than Alexandria, and I saw mm. how dark Roy's journey was. Or maybe you had just watched Wit twice. I did rewatch Wit that <laughs> morning. <laughs> um, I don't know why I was telling you that, but... Um, so do you think that some of the points that your friend did when you guys watched it together, that they are valid? No, his big complaint was that he hates when there's too much crime. And so there is like a solid 10 minutes where Alexandria is like sobbing and begging Roy not to kill okay. everyone. And it goes on and on and on and on. Oh, crying. Okay. And so this was just like a pet peeve of him. It wasn't like a solid critique of the film itself. Gotcha. He was like, I hate it when people cry this much. Like, this is the emotional climax of the film, dude. Shut the fuck up. So how does he feel about you anymore? Uh, I cut him off 100%. He, <laughs> he moved to Korea. <laughs> North Korea, actually. <laughs> well, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, honestly, I know that we discuss it uh, when we watch Weeds. I don't know if we were recording at that point or not when I say about like, just watching the fall for watching something lighter. It and was not lighter. For it me, a little it is. bit lighter. For me, it is. I mean, for me, I mean, the thing is, like, you already know what is going on, and I always watch it. There is something on the tone of the movie that, even if he's trying to commit suicide, I always see it from the optimistic perspective of Alexandria. That until the end, she doesn't, she doesn't really like connect about like 
wait a second, this guy may be using me for committing suicide. But she always knew, because the first time when she successfully gets the morphine bottle, she dumps all the pills in the toilet except for three, and he's furious. And you know she did that because she knows something's up. No, I think that is like another adorable moment when she says, like, you wanted morphine? Three. So I just get three. Oh, that's the, that's yeah. the actual misunderstanding yeah. of the actress that, um, that Tarsem worked into the script. Oh. She misread the script and saw three. She saw the letter E as three, and that's why she brought three. Yep, you're right. Gotcha. But the thing is that he, that, that makes sense because he actually reads it back when she's spelling M O R, sorry, M O R P H I N three, you know? Yeah. And I think that he plays like, says like, sure. <laughs> what? Sang <laughs> E, not a three. But sure. She doesn't try, he doesn't try to correct her. But the, the thing is like also this spans the story significantly more. It cannot really be a mistake on the script. Uh, this is what IMDb says, and please don't doubt. Okay. Um, so this is actually a film. I often see films, and I'll, let me read this. Sure. One of the significant plot developments, Alexandria's misinterpreting the letter E as the number three in a yeah. note written by Roy was derived from an accidental misreading by the six-year-old, so she was six, mm -hmm. uh, during filming, which the director then realized he could adapt into a clever twist in the story. I wonder what would have happened in the original story because if she actually brings the whole bottle of morphine, he could have killed himself, and then we would have had the last two thirds of the movie. Well, well, actually, no, because I was thinking that the claymation is such a disturbing scene that it makes sense for it to actually happen like that. You know, is that the only alternative that I could actually see is that maybe when they start recording it, okay, it says morphine three. Maybe you can just work this into something else and just force him to force her to go twice to the med room. Somehow they had to have her go twice. I don't know what yeah. they would have done. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Oh no, I I find all the scenes with the girl adorable and I'm like the kind of person that usually don't like child actors Same. and actresses. Is that always a difference like, oh you guys are like trying really hard or you are dumb as a rock. I just thought of another film to add to our list, which is the one film that takes place almost exclusively through child actors, which I would completely be dismissive, dismissive of, but I really liked it. I'll add it, don't worry. Oh, what? I'll add it, don't worry. Okay, yeah. I'll have it open. Okay. So, 7 from you, 7.5 from me. Yep. Um, I feel like this should get like a special like a 7.5 plus <laughs> i opened the door to revisit this in now, the future this is great anybody who's listening all six of you uh this well, is you're being like pretty generous right now <laughs> sure. all three to four of you okay uh i think that this movie would appeal to the vast majority of moviegoers yeah i think this is a movie like for example with I think that it's really good. I don't remember what the score that I gave it. I think that it was an 8. 8.5 and 8. Yeah, yeah. I say, I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. Which it would never be recommended by me. I'm sorry. It's like, just crazy talk. Come, come. It's like, I don't hate anyone up to that point. I know that it's going to be destroying them for the day. But this movie, they're going to be like making the film good. Did I tell you about my coworker and me telling her about Wit? What did he say? 
So my work wife, yeah. uh, whom I love, <laughs> I started to message her about this amazing movie that I had just seen and how much fun we had on the podcast discussing it. And, and she was like, oh my gosh, tell me what it is. I need to watch it. And I completely didn't take into account that she was literally the, the next day going in to have her cancerous thyroid removed. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. So you before some... I recommended to her, I said, oh no, this movie's not for you. I just wanted to tell you about it. <laughs> just remind me in six months. We may talk in yes, six months about it. Yes, we're sure you're not going to die. Exactly. <laughs> so, She's fine, by the way, but I was just like, this is the most inappropriate movie recommendation I've ever made. <laughs> yeah, probably that would be terrible. But yeah, this is a movie that is, a, I think that is extremely easy to recommend. I mean, I, I recommended it to my ex from the perspective that, look, this is one of the easiest movies to digest. It's like now that you actually see with that darker perspective, it's true. It may be a bit harder, but at the same time, is that there is even sapping a good note. It does. And so was your understanding of the ending, and I'm astonished that after 20 viewings, I'm not very clear, was... Alexandria watching his old movies where he was the stunt double before he went paralyzed or did he go back to work? He went back to work. I mean, okay. sorry, the thing is like uh, there is a point that they mention, I think that is like when he was talking with the lawyer, that this was the first time that he was uh, in a movie, that Roy was in a movie. Okay. Yeah. So it was, they imply that he recovered. Now, the thing that I'm not completely sure is like if he truly recovered or not, because he says that he starts watching it in movies but except a single scene, you know, when they're like hitting him with a with a stool or something on the head, you don't see his face. So he's imagining it. And there are like other movies there that they are like extremely popular, you know? There's like one with Charles Chaplin and uh, uh what is the name? Buster Keaton. That is like that those movies probably they didn't have the same actors, you know, the same stand actors. So I think that she's like just going to the cinema and as a very young kid is imagining that is like, oh, that may be him. That may be him. That may be him. And maybe what happened is that he actually committed suicide at the end. Or he actually never got back to walk, to walking. Yeah, after all this time, the ending was, it was never super crisp about what happened. I mean, you have, I want to assume he didn't commit suicide because of the promise he made to her. Yep. But I was not clear. Did he go back to work? We don't know that. You know, that's the part that is like at the end, and this is something that I always feel a bit torn uh, about. The movie tries to be a love letter to silent cinema and to stand actors, you know, to these kind of unsung heroes of, you know, like more, the simpler times. Albeit, you know, like some of the scenes that they display at the end, like the uh, trains, like just crashing against each other. And some of the stuff is like, holy shit, the amount of actors that they may have died, of stand actors that they have, may have died doing this. Especially with no OSHA. The what? No, OSHA. What is OSHA? OSHA is the government, uh, government, government organization that ensures workplace safety. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the stunts that they were doing there is like, you guys are insane. So, uh, from that perspective, it's like, it's true that it tries to be like a love letter to all of that. Now, I think that it fails a bit connecting towards like most of the story. You know, it's like the tale that they take, that they talk that they actually describe is not about like crazy stunt action or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I see what you're saying. Like the end, the very final scenes, it's like, oh, this is a collection of actual footage from silent films and yeah. stunt 
stuff yep. happening, but there's yep. nothing about that. Enough. Yeah. The only thing that happens multiple times on that story that they're telling is that they are false. They're what? False. Is a most of, I would say that if it's not all of the characters when they are dying, is that some of them, they actually fall to their death. Like the Indian guy falls to the death. The uh, Darwin falls to his death. I can't believe when they killed that monkey. Yeah, no, that was terrible. <laughs> the, the monkey falls too, I think, when they shoot it, it's like he falls. No, they kill the monkey dies. and Darwin lays him down and covers him with his coat and then he stands up and says, kill me, and then it just shows him fall back. But the thing is that like, he actually, uh, he's like just climbing oh, and they shoot him and yeah. he falls at that point and it's like when they go down and they just, he picks him up, Darwin picks him up. So uh, Darwin in the movie has a, a partner, a sidekick named Wallace, who's a monkey, <laughs> and they are supposed to be partners in like developing theories, but really Darwin just steals. Um, <laughs> Wallace theories. Wallace, Wallace doesn't talk or anything. He's an actual monkey. Um, but so Darwin's monkey Wallace is a reference to the naturalist Alfred Russell Wallace, who oh, independently developed no, the idea of natural yeah. selection, yeah. and then uh, Darwin basically took credit. So there are several times... Wait, 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 wait. Wasn't that that they both, in parallel, developed this, and they got published the same year? So what this says is that Wallace independently developed the idea of natural selection, but then they presented on the theory together... Um, and at the same time, Darwin published on the origin of species, and so Darwin just got way more popular. This, yeah. yeah, and so there's this entire this sweet little monkey who keeps giving Darwin all his ideas, and then Darwin like walks him in the backpack. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's cool. But yeah, you know another movie that I actually thought about this one when I was watching it. It was Hugo. Why? Because I hate myself. No, I, I hate you. I hate Hugo. I hate like two-thirds of the movie is exactly the opposite of Sunshine. <laughs> it's like the two-thirds with the kid is that like, I hate it. Is like, like, this is one of the dumbest things that I ever watched. But then the last part about Melier, it says like, okay, that's cool. About who? Melier. Oh. Yeah. So is that the last part, you know, there is like a... Ben Kisney is the actor. He's actually playing... Yeah. yeah. He is like basically Melier, the, uh, the French director. And... Uh, he started like, just coming up with these ideas and just building up his fate in cinema and just being like, imaginative. So he talks about like how he created those stories. And I feel like this is great. This is a great home age. Everything else that happened, this hour and a half that happened before this, is garbage. But at the same time, it's like it felt like one of these, okay, you wanted to make a home age. And I understand part of the imaginative stuff that you portray in Hugo, you know about like the station, how is the sign and everything. It tries to be like the Melie movies. It tries to be like the same kind of imagination. Like for example, the scene when Hugo is like just hanging from the giant clock. You know, in the front is like, sure, I understand it, I get it, but it doesn't work. And I had the feeling that there is also a similar disconnect here in the fall between the kind of homage that they do at the end. It's like, hey, by the way, this was all about a stand actors and actresses in the early age of Hollywood. And they said, yeah, that's great, but everything that you show in between, I don't think that it really connects with connect. this. Yeah. yeah, interesting. I barely remember Hugo besides thinking this is a piece of shit. Thanks, Martin Scorsese. Yeah, the Martin Scorsese did that, yeah. We said Chavaron Cohen. Yeah, I, 
That was not that was not a good movie. But yeah. Uh so what are we watching next time? Uh we are going to watch, unless we cannot find it anywhere, the documentary that stars Lars von Trier and Jorgen Leth, The Five Obstructions. And I, I'm pretty interested to watch that because I never heard it before. Though. I haven't seen it since 2013. 2013, so it'll be interesting to see if I still like it as much as I did the first time. Oh, seven years. It's not that much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this was great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. Four to five people out there. <laughs> Wash your hands. <laughs> Bye.